Hello and welcome to the Salmon Trout Steelheader Podcast. I am here at the Lama Glass Factory in Woodland, Washington with Roger Hinchcliffe. How are you doing this morning, Roger? I'm doing way too good. Good stuff. Hey, it's good to have you here on the West Coast. Roger is actually from Michigan State. And uh, Roger, what are you doing out here on the West Coast today? Well, I got invited to come on out to the Portland show this year and do some seminars. And um, I'm actually going to fly back home today, but I came to the factory to get some work done. So here I am. Awesome. So you're you're doing work with Lama Glass and for Lama Glass, and and what is it? What all does your job description entail? Um, well, I'm uh, I, I work on some design projects with Lama Glass, uh, rod consulting with Lama Glass, and I'm also involved in the sales side uh, in the Great Lakes region with the company, and um, that's kind of my role i guess many hats many hats for sure so speaking of the great lakes let's uh let's talk about those so you live in michigan state so yep. when it comes to salmon and steelhead mm-hmm. and trout mm-hmm. what is fishing like in michigan uh it's world class um if the listeners don't already know it's the number two fishing tourist destination in the united states um behind what Florida. Only Florida. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, in the Great Lakes region alone, we stock 5.2 million steelhead. Wow. And uh, and when it comes to that stocking, mm-hmm. you guys also get a better return rate on those fish than we would here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, every river gets a different return compared to another river uh, but yeah we get a decent uh, return I you know there's things that our fish don't have to worry about like sea lions yeah, and yep. whales and nets across the river right yeah, yeah. Um, not to say that there's not uh, netting that goes on in the Great Lakes because that sure does happen but there's you know, they, they don't have uh, such a gauntlet like the fish do on the West Coast. Absolutely, and not to mention the big bad ocean, which can be really good or really bad to the fish. And yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, the Great Lakes, it is a freshwater ocean. It's, it's a very big place. I mean, by no means, like, if you think in your mind, you think it's just a giant lake, it's way bigger than you think yeah. <laughs> until you're there to see it. But there's no question the ocean is a much, much bigger place. So what? Uh, which which of the Great Lakes does Michigan border? Holy mackerel. Well, I mean, you've got Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. you got the province of Ontario. I mean, it's it's a big place. There's a lot of water. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's what borders the Great Lakes in general. But as far as the lakes themselves, what is Michigan up against there? There's Superior. We have Lake Superior. We got you know Lake Erie, and then Lake Michigan is that's where our big fish are. Really? Yeah. yeah. The, if you if if you come to Michigan and you're going to visit for for steelhead, the Lake michigan side which would be the west side of the state that shoreline there that's going to give you your biggest chance at a, a nice fish 
So what are they eating out in uh, Lake Michigan? What are those steelhead? Oh, they have a very, very diverse diet. There's lots of food. Uh, there's, you know, the L-wives, um, which is an invasive species. They feed on those, uh, smelt, um, you know, freshwater shrimp, uh, insects. I mean, the, the diet is very diverse of a steelhead. Interesting. Plenty of groceries. Yeah, for sure. And uh, is that something, or do you yourself ever target steelhead in the, in the big lakes? I have. Um, you know, I'm... Most people don't know I'm a multi-species angler. I fish for a lot of different fish, and I use a lot of different methods, but I'm known in the world for salmon, steelhead, and trout. And, um, you know, I've been out on the big lake, the big pond, we call it, um, you know, fishing um, for steelhead and salmon, trolling, you know, using downriggers and different various techniques, but mostly with spoons, uh, body baits, you know, uh, meat rigs, stuff like that. What's a body bait? Uh, you know, like crankbaits. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So now you, although you're a Great Lakes guy, um, you have fished the Pacific Northwest quite a bit. And, yes. Uh, in particular, what is it February you usually come out? Uh, February, March. Yep. Awesome. And you've been able to catch some really gorgeous fish, some nice big fish on coastal washington streams you ever mm-hmm. fished oregon i have mm-hmm. but um i don't really fish here often yeah yeah so when you do you come out to the washington coast yeah so you've had the opportunity to kind of see the differences between great lakes and the pacific northwest starting with the rivers what would you say are some key differences in, in the rivers themselves between say a, a lake michigan tributary and a coastal washington stream Wow. Well, first of all, the the scenery out here is amazing. Like, if I come out here every year and I hardly catch any fish, I at least want to catch one or two, right? <laughs> but it's the scenery is amazing. It's uh, it's uh, it takes your breath away, right? Um, and then uh, you know the fact that you have large boulders the size of cars <laughs> in some places that's not something that you really see a lot in Michigan I mean we have boulders but nothing like that um, you know some of our rivers uh, do have you know some of the rapids you know the various classes of rapids but nothing like you guys have here so your rivers um, are man not only are they beautiful but they're uh, they're a lot faster, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then the water clarity is, like, I can't even explain it. Oh, it's yeah. Like, I just can't explain how clear this water is. So what is what would a Great Lakes, how would you compare the clarity in a Great so, Lakes? So, like, a lot of our northern rivers, I mean, they're crystal clear, but because there is hardwood forest next to them, Mm-hmm. And the leaves get deposited in the river. Our rivers have a lot of tannic, so they're they're a lot uh, they're like a copper color. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though they're clear, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I was uh, up in Lake Superior, and um, I, I saw a, a stream going in with that tannic color. It was not something I'd seen around here before. So. Yeah, and it was clear, right? Yeah, it was yeah. crystal clear, but you know, it's that organic matter that's really? made up in the water that. Huh. 
Yeah. So how do you think that affects um, lure colors and maybe leader sizing and such? Well, it's very interesting. Um, me, personally, I think sunlight penetration is a, a greater, and that's the reason why you guys use such a larger profile size if you want to pick on uh, a lure, we'll pick on beads, mm-hmm. which I talk about in my seminars. Um, most people don't realize why you guys even use such large profile beads. Um, and I'm trying to make headway back in the Great Lakes, and I'm finally getting there. I, I see people now fishing a 12 millimeter and mm-hmm. a 14 millimeter, where in years ago, no way. That's just crazy to fish a bead that big. Yeah, which to me doesn't quite make sense in that I'm sure they're using spawn sacks and everything that are... We use the spawn sacks, but it's all about the light penetration. But they're big enough to be a 12 millimeter, 14 millimeter. That's exactly right. I mean, an average spawn bag uh, at home could be anywhere from a dime Mm -hmm. up to the size of a 50 cent piece even. Oh, wow. Yeah. So So why do people get scared of the... I I tell you, man, it... I don't know. I wish I could answer it, but slowly, <laughs> one by one, one seminar at a time. Yeah, there you I'm, go. I'm converting people. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So you um, you mentioned sunlight penetration. Are you talking in the Pacific Northwest or well, in both the, in the both. Great Lakes? The, the, see, the problem is what people don't understand is steelhead don't wear sunglasses, <laughs> right? So the easiest way I can explain it to your listeners is if you're driving in a car and you're driving facing into the sun. You can't see unless you have sunglasses. Well, steelhead don't come with sunglasses. So what happens is what people don't realize is a steelhead can hear, a steelhead can feel, and a steelhead can smell much better than it can actually see, even though they have great eyesight and can see just as good as us. But they have a hard time on those bright, sunshiny days, and everybody thinks low and clear water... You want to um, fish something smaller when you should actually fish something larger. So if you held up the basketball in front of the sun, you can see that. If you held a ping pong ball up, you can't see that. So it's about the larger profile size. So what you're saying is a a bit kind of contrary to, uh, I guess, popular opinion or what's been repeated over the years. Um, So you're saying in low, clear water, a larger profile can actually... Especially on a bright, sunshiny day. Bright, sunshiny day. You know, because you get back to the boat launch, and I hear it back home a lot, and, uh, well, if it hadn't been a bright, sunshiny day and it was overcast, I would have caught more fish. And really... um, you needed a larger profile because it's all about um, color size profile. Totally. Right. So, but in, in the case of a overcast day mm-hmm. and low clear water, then you could size it down again. That's correct. Okay. okay. Yep. Cool. That's a that's because sixty percent of the light penetration is UV light. Okay, so what does that mean in fishing terms? Well, that's why a lot of people don't even realize. That's why most steelhead anglers use UV mm-hmm. because it works. So when there is, and a you lot can't of, see that light, right? Yeah, you and I, yeah. with the naked eye, can't see that, but the fish can. So if there's a lot of light penetration, you would right. go with UV. Um, well, that's another thing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone has their opinion. They think UV works some days and some days it does not. Yeah. And I would agree with that to an extent because steelhead are the most color-conscious fish on planet Earth, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is all an opinion. But um, I, me personally, I'm a huge fan of UV anytime, period. Anytime. UV, I'm all the way UV, man. Interesting. Yep. So now when it comes to uh, Great Lakes steelhead, kind of going back to uh, the big pond, as you say, mm-hmm. what is it that uh, that triggers the fish to enter the river? Is it is it all a timing thing, or is there specific conditions that really draw them in? Well, everybody thinks that it's more or less all about temperature. And yes, temperature plays a huge role, but it's also all about photo periods of uh, light. And um, between the fish's eyeballs is a penile plate, and that helps them, you know, steelhead have a onboard GPS system. So they know where they're at at all times and what time of the year it is, right? And then based on the water temperature and in the smells of that natal river, you know, water coming out there, they, they get ready. And a lot of times they'll stage, right, waiting to come up. And then once the flow and the temp is right and that photo period's there, they head on up. So typically in the Great Lakes, you're looking around September. Mm-hmm. They'll start cruising the shoreline of the, the big lakes and start staging. Mm-hmm. And every river has its own run clock, right? And I think that's really based on flow and temperature. But everyone forgets the photo period has a lot to do with it as well. Interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, fo- photo period, are you saying that? Um, the amount of daylight. amount of daylight. And yeah. then would that have uh, something to do with moon phase as well? Well, you're probably going to try to nail me down on that moon phase on this. And I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to buy the book. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yeah. I've already told you enough in private. I but. know. I'm trying to, trying to dig it all out of you here. Yeah. So, no, that's good stuff. Which, by the way, that is a, that's a subject I want to bring up here is that Roger and I, or Roger rather, with my administrative assistants, are going to be putting out Roger's book in uh, whatever time we can we can make it happen in. So keep an eye out for that. I don't have any specific date, and there's a lot of work to be done on it, but it's in process. And uh, what are you going to call that book? I don't know. I uh, I don't know. Steelhead don't wear sunglasses. Steelhead <laughs> don't wear sunglasses. That's pretty funny. Yeah. No, I I really would love to finally get it done it's um been the labor of love and i think people are really going to dig it because i'm not the dude that just says okay you put your bobber stop here yeah yeah. and put your weight here and not that there's not a place for that you know to help beginning stuff but you also got to give some stuff to help bring something else to the table for people that are novice fishermen or very good fishermen that want to become better fishermen for sure. I love to get caught up in the details and kind of nerd out, so to speak, about it. So yeah. Really excited to hear. And that's why if you get a chance to check out one of Roger's seminars, he really drops a lot of information that he doesn't drop in, you know, podcasts or anything like that. So yeah. Um, so now, uh, once once they come in the river, how long are these fish typically staying in the river before they drop back? 
Well, steelhead in the Great Lakes, uh, a, the longest span would probably be six months. Mm-hmm. And um, is that the Scamania strain or the or, or that's uh, the majority of our fish? Because uh, we do stock the Scamanias, mm-hmm. just not as many. Yeah, but we have what's called the Manistee strain fish, mm-hmm. which is a spring run fish. But they actually do start coming up in the fall, okay. coming up the rivers. And how does that coincide with the ice over? Well, um, yeah. Well, now this year, that's mm-hmm. a different story because yeah. you got to go really far north to even find ice. We've had a warm winter, yeah. And so, but um, I'll give people a little tidbit or a little tip. When there is shelf ice along the river, you'll be surprised how many steelhead are underneath those. Really? Oh, yeah. Is there any way to target them? Yeah, you can just fish alongside them, but you have to keep in mind that if you touch that shelf ice with your leader or your line, Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's going to break. Right, because it's well, sharp. So you once you hook them, yeah. you got to try to get them out from underneath that shelf ice and play them out in the middle of the river. Try to swing your leader under there somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the purpose of having the right float rod. Yeah, it's all sure. about float control. Well, do you know anything about float rods? I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So a little little background here. I uh, I worked uh, with Roger at Lama Glass, and Roger kind of came on board with a a very unique idea for for float fishing and it was really cool to see it play out and how it kind of changed changed the world of center pin rods and why don't you tell us a little bit about the closer and where where you started with the idea of kind of rethinking float rods yeah so unfortunately um what has happened is through the years people took fly blanks made them into float rods and handed them to us and said this is how you have to fish this is what you have to fish with and that's what we have fished with all this time including myself for years and years and years but i always said to myself wow if we could get a rod that's going to be way faster right dampen very quickly and then keep that fish pinned that would be the ultimate float rod. Well, I am truly blessed that Lamaglass asked me to be involved, and I got the opportunity to create something just like that, and that's exactly what we did. And it was so unconventional. At first, people were like, oh, my God, this rod is fast. and You know what I mean? But now it's, it's the hottest-selling high-end float rod in America. Yeah, and it's, it's truly... Truly an incredible rod, the, the closer itself. How many models do you have now? Well, if you add the different handle versions, you know, we have seven. But uh, the two newest ones that we brought on board were the two 13-foots. We have a 6 to 10-pound, and then we also have a 4 to 8-pound. And so we, the 4 to 8 would be um, like your Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York fishery people that you know, fish uh, for smaller fish and fish really light leaders. And then that 13-foot 6 to 10 would be a stick that you could just take anywhere in the Great Lakes. For sure. And yeah. that 4 to 8, I was surprised. I picked it up at the Novi Show in Detroit, and that one was still had a good, fast, quick-dampening action to it. 
Yeah, it does, but yet it has that soft tip, and what people are pleasantly surprised, and obviously it's all proprietary secrets, but it, what they're surprised is how much power that thing has, as light as that is. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you hear the term parabolic all the time, and I think it might even get misused a bit, um, but the closer, the closer, if ever there was a parabolic rod... That seems to be it. Um, yeah. It keeps the fish pinned, too, because if you've ever watched slow-motion videos when people have fish hooked and watch the tip of the rod, it's like vibrating out of control, right? And the closer, because it dampens so quickly, it just has that beautiful parabolic bend. It keeps a constant pressure on the fish and I know it sounds like a commercial but until you actually fish one they're they're pretty pretty nice sticks well yeah you're not um it I would say when you pick it up at first if you weren't fishing it Mm -hmm. you would think this is a stiff rod yes and yet when you actually hook a fish on it it doesn't get loaded up yeah that's exactly right it just it's almost like a shock absorber once it gets loaded up and it never feels like it's bottomed out exactly and that's that's key yeah and uh even the red line center spin which is uh uh designed for spinning rod or center pin fishing yes and uh i was involved in those projects as well and what's what's um what's great is we have some different alternatives mm-hmm. instead of a noodly mess absolutely you know yeah. because what people don't realize is um the key to float fishing i mean there's many different things but one of the things is you always need to mend your line right and fishing is mathematics and so if you can cover uh more water with a drag free drift and mend less and mend with less disturbance to the float the more fish you catch absolutely those so i are, think those rods really help the angler they are effective that yeah. center spin actually um i fish with a lot i fish with it a lot and i fish with a spinning reel on it actually oh, do you, do you use a 12 foot 12 foot 6 to 15 yep and i'm gonna throw in a little claim to fame for myself i came up with the center spin name yeah. Um, and I was asking Roger, I was like, what is what is the difference between a spinning rod and a center pin rod? Mm-hmm. And you were kind of talking about there's some differences in guide sizing and, and of course, the, the handles often. Um, but I asked, you know, what would be what would be wrong with a spinning reel ha- or a center pin rod having a bigger lower guide that would accommodate both? And so that red line center spin uh, really does work with a spinning reel or a center pin reel. Yeah, it works for both. It gives the angler uh, lots of versatility. Totally. And for those guys that are thinking, man, maybe I should get into center center pin fishing, well, you've got the option, even if you don't end up using it as a center pin rod, it's a phenomenal spinning rod. And the thing that I noticed about the closer and the center spin is that they're ridiculously accurate with casting. Yep. You can put a, a bobber and jig anywhere you want. And it's because of the dampening effect. Interesting. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're casting, you know, um, if you got a rod that's just all over the place, right, your casting ability can be affected for accuracy. Now, here's one thing that I find interesting about the Pacific Northwest and the Great Lakes is you guys think an 11-foot-3 rod is a short float rod. Yes. <laughs> and we think a 10-foot-6 
is a long float rod. That and you're absolutely right. And in my seminars this weekend, I talked about that. Um, and my thing is, is I get when you're fishing in a boat, and I think that has a lot to do with okay, yeah, uh, with yeah. the Pacific Northwest, because it's much harder to be landing fish with a longer rod. Yeah, yeah. To where in the Great Lakes there is plenty of uh, wading and shoreline fishing and mm-hmm. a lot more room. But I will tell you, uh, I think at a minimum, a float fisherman should fish at least ten and a half feet. For sure. Because of all the advantages that it gives you. I mean, the longer the rod that you fish, the longer the drift you can achieve because you can hold more line up off the water. Mm -hmm. If the float goes down, you can pick the line up very quickly and set the hook. Makes mending the line very easy. And then let's say that you're in a run and there's a little bush sticking out and you need to slowly kind of pull your float out a little bit to make sure it goes around that and not through it and get you all hung up a longer rod just gives you way more control but where it has its disadvantages is if you're in a boat i get it yeah for sure that that makes sense in a boat it's 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 nice to go shorter yeah um i've noticed even people will talk about oh well when i'm in a little creek I'll fish a shorter rod. And I get that if there's not a bunch of overhanging brush and, yeah. and such. But the nice thing about a long rod, like a 12-foot or even in a little creek, is you don't have to haul back to cast it. You give a little flick of the wrist, and that thing is out in the creek, and yeah. you can mend anywhere you want. Yeah. Longer rods, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. For sure. We could spend an hour talking about braid versus mono and yeah. the pros and cons. Yep. And you just have to weigh out what's best for you. But if somebody was asking me my opinion, a minimum uh, float rod would be at least 10 and a half or longer. And I love an 11 foot up to a 13 foot, depending on where I'm fishing. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's been truly, I think, a percentage increase for me on being able to hook fish on longer drifts, having that 12 foot rod mm-hmm. for a float rod. So for me, it's even hard to go back down to a 10 six. Yeah. Um, well, when I fish out here, I'm using my 12-foot closer. Yeah. Oh, I love you know, it. And I'm fishing out of a drift boat. And I really haven't seen that hard of a problem landing a fish with a 12-foot rod. I could see it with a 13-foot. But a 12-footer, man, it's no problem. Well, and if you got a net man... We gotta have net man. Yeah. You gotta have net man. I think, I think maybe <laughs> if, I was, if I was in a drift boat by myself, you know, even a 9-6... Even a is fine or a, because you can you can yeah. maneuver around yeah but uh but yeah definitely from the bank it's been incredible to be fishing the 12 foot the closer and the and the center spin so um uh, just a couple more questions uh for you um leader sizing you were mentioning breaking off leader on the uh shelf ice and i was just thinking about you guys use some incredibly light leaders out there as compared to the Pacific Northwest. Now, what do you think, when you come out here to the Pacific Northwest and you're fishing for fresh ocean fish, mm-hmm. you find, I mean, for me, it seems like they're not that leader shy out here when they're fresh. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I do, I do say this in my seminars. A lot of people ask, well, what pound test are you using? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, what line diameter 
are you using is really the best question because there is times where a smaller line diameter equals bites. There's yeah. no question. It equals yeah. fish. Now, us, where we're at, obviously our fish are smaller mm-hmm. on average than your fish. So obviously we don't have... I mean, out here I fish up to a 20-pound fluoro leader, man. Yeah, yep. Because you have a chance at a true giant, right? But the other thing, too, is um, the difference is water temperature. Mm -hmm. Our water temperature, like the coldest river out here, in, in my experience that I've really seen, I mean, it very rarely, I've ever seen it get below 38 degrees, 37 degrees. Yeah. Right? Now, back home right now, this time of year, most of the rivers are like 33 degrees. Okay. You know, they're much colder rivers. So it's just like in um, when you're ice fishing, mm-hmm. you know, people have a tendency to use lighter line, thinner diameter, smaller baits, because the mood of the fish, you know, they're so lethargic because the water is so cold. And, and Pacific Northwest people give me a dirty look when I say this, but your fish are easier to catch (laughs) oh man does that turn some heads and oh yeah don't get me wrong uh you have less fish than i have right Mm -hmm. and so what i mean by that is if i was in a river system and i did find where some steelhead are holding yeah and that's the key is to find them yep i think a lot of times it can be much easier to get your fish to bite than my fish Right, because a lot of my fish are hatchery fish. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have that pure genetic instinct that the wild fish have out here. I think your fish are more aggressive yep. because they're wild, and I think a lot of it has to do with water temperature. Right, oh, absolutely. They're not like super lethargic and cold because it's not thirty-three degree water. So when I say that, that's what that means. I want to make sure that everybody yeah. understands when I say that. Well, I think there's there's absolutely truth to that. If you think about it, those fish, um, especially like a coastal wild fish, mm-hmm. and I do think there's a difference between like a coastal fish and one that's further up a river and a tributary, say, of the Columbia. Mm-hmm. But um, when they are fresh out of the salt... Oh, yeah. And they got sea lice and uh, they are bombing up the river. They're aggressive. They certainly are. Yeah. And... Uh, and then, so now say we had the exact same temperature, the exact same river, the exact same color, the exact same flow, but one was going into the Great Lakes, one was going in to, a, to the coast here on the Pacific Northwest. How, many, how much differences do you think there would be in catching those fish? Um, well, the difference would be we'd go back to hatchery versus wild. Mm-hmm. And, and then as far as, you know, and I would think, that if we were talking about, um, it depends on that scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, if the water was warmer, are we going to fish in 33-degree water? Same temperature. Right, but it would depend. Is it going to be really cold water? Is mm-hmm. it going to be 45 degrees? Yeah. So if we're going to pick 45 degrees, I'll give the listeners another nugget. 45 degrees is the number that steelhead start to slow down their metabolism and not want to move great distances to chase things. So if we were to pick uh, the East Coast versus the West Coast, everything was the same, 45-degree temperature in both rivers, I would say I would go with a jig, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And yep. I think that a jig, we, we both would catch 
fish. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the nightmare jig, which is really popular out here. Well, it's very popular in the Great Lakes as well. And it works. All of your stuff works on my fish, mm-hmm. right? The only differences are I, you, we fish out here larger profile sizes mm-hmm. due to the water clarity, right? Yep. And the fish, the mood of the fish because the water temps are higher. But we're fishing that exact same gear back east, but everything's scaled down due to water temperature. Yeah. So, well, when you say due to water temperature, then are you, what about those skimanias and warm temperature? Are, you, are those aggressive fish? Those fish can be very aggressive. And, you know, our, like our manistee strain fish typically has a 4 to 8% fat factor right yeah those skamanias can have even more than that they're like your west coast fish you guys can have up to a 20 percent fat factor and those skamanias you have they are really nice fish and they're big they are very big they actually average um you know eight to ten pounds i'd say ten pounds is more of an average because they stay out in the great lakes an extra year interesting yeah yep and so when they come back they're older and fatter yep and they are full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, and those, interestingly enough, we're here at the Lama Glass Factory in Woodland, Washington, and those Scamania come from, I believe, two hatcheries. One in particular is a Scamania hatchery on the Washougal River. Mm-hmm. So yep. um, that's the cool thing about a lot of these. The reason these fish have so many similarities is they come from the same waters as ours. Yeah. And uh, But, of course, they've... They've moved out there. They've naturalized uh, to the temperatures and and uh, the lakes themselves. So they they've developed their own migration patterns. But it's pretty cool to see the parallels. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, they're still genetically totally related. Yeah. They came yep. from this place. For Makes sure. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the amazing thing about steelhead is they adapt and they get uh, they. They figure out the best timing for each river, and so... Mother Nature always finds a way. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, Roger, we're running out of time here, but I want to thank you for coming on the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast, and I really look forward to talking with you more, getting more information out. Um, You can find a lot of uh, Roger's writings in Salmon Trout Steelheader as well as Great Lakes Angler Magazine. And if you go on www.salmontroutsteelheader.com, or www.glangler.com. You can read articles from Roger Hinchcliffe. Thanks again, Roger, and hope you have a safe trip back out to Michigan. And Thank you so much. It. I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun.